0: Uh, We are weeks away from finishing up this series, Why Do We Believe That? We are doing a systematic theology study of the doctrines that we believe the Bible teaches us, God's people, and particularly as Hope in Christ Fellowship. Uh, Last week we shifted gears and began studying the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the church, ecclesiology. Uh, is what that is known in big theological doctrine term. Basically, we're studying the church. What does the Bible teach about church? Um, I'm going to say possibly from the day of Pentecost forward. From the day of Pentecost forward, uh, folks have been adding what they think and what they believe to what God has revealed The church should be, the nature of the church, the function of the church, the purpose of the church. Folks love to take wonderful, great, perfect things that God gives us, and people love to mess those up. Can I get an amen right there? People love to put their two cents in. Now, a hundred years ago, people put their two cents in. Now, because of the depravity of man, people put their one cent in. You know, that's just where we are. But uh, that that was a joke. Y'all, y'all can laugh at that. In other words, we're we're going downhill, okay? We're going downhill. Uh, eventually, Jesus is going to split the eastern sky, and we're going to go uphill. We're going to go into glory for all of eternity. But in the meantime, I'll just have to say that uh, I love the Lord's church, and I think the Lord's church, as Christ established it, is, is on track, and we are doing what the Lord would have us to do in spite of ourselves. God is holding this thing together. Uh, we could always do it better. We could always do it more aligned with Scripture than we do. But I believe with all my heart, hope in Christ is trying, don't you? I believe we're trying to do church, the Bible way of doing church. So last week, what we did, we began studying the doctrine of the church and uh, and as we usually do around here, we opened God's Word. And we began to look to Scripture for the Scripture, for the biblical definition of and the intended nature of the Lord's church. We, we saw, and I think I hammered this pretty hard last week, we saw that the Lord's church is His church. It's not my church. It's not your church. We are a part of the Lord's church he he brought it into being he established it by the shedding of his blood on the cross of calvary and so it is his church we we also saw how that the bible uses several metaphors or uh, word pictures if you will to describe the lord's church uh, he says it's like a family it's like a family various agriculture metaphors. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and so on. Structural images. Uh, The temple. There there was, uh, in the Old Testament, originally a tabernacle, and God dwelt in that tabernacle. And then we come forward through some time, and Solomon actually was able to build a temple, and God dwelt in the temple. But in New Testament times today, the Lord Jesus Christ inhabits your heart and my heart. And as we make up the church, then we are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. And last but not least, last week we looked at the image of the Lord's church being the physical body of Jesus Christ on planet Earth today. The physical body, the visual body. And this this is where I want us to begin today. Uh, point number one is the church. What is the church? Who is the church? Well, we learn from Scripture that the church is both invisible and visible. The church is both invisible and visible. In its true spiritual reality, as a fellowship of believers, of genuine believers, the church is invisible. You say, "Bro, well, Brother Steve, I'm looking around the room, I see folks, well... That's point number two. We'll get there in just a moment. But the the spiritual reality of the fellowship of genuine believers is the church is invisible. We can't yet see the glorified, purified church of the living God. We will when we get to heaven. We will know exactly who the church is and who they were on planet Earth. And and this begins to make perfect sense to us when we realize that, that we as humans... Uh, We cannot conclusively know uh, the state or the condition of any particular person's heart. At best, you can say, Brother Steve, I believe you're a child of God. But can you prove that I am a child of God? No, you can't. Only God knows who belongs to Him. And in that sense of the word, the church is, for the most part, this day and time, it's invisible. We, we can see those who attend the church services. We can see those who who make professions of faith and, and come forward and follow in the Lord's uh, obedience and, and baptized by immersion in water. Uh, we can see those who are involved in the various ministries of the church. Uh, we can see the outward evidence of the inward change that people profess, but we cannot positively know another person's spiritual state. Only God knows that. Now, that prevents a lot of judging. Can I get an amen? That, that prevents a lot of judging. Don't judge me and I won't judge you. That's the commandment found in Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord. Say the Lord. The Lord. It doesn't say you. It doesn't say me. It says the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone, who's name, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So God knows who belongs to Him, and a good hint of those who belong to Him are those that have forsaken the life of sin. Now when we talk about forsaking the life of sin, we're talking about repentance. We're talking about repentance. We're born into this world, we're born into this life, dead in our trespasses and sins with our face toward the world and with our face toward sin and with our back toward God. But when God sends His Holy Spirit into our lives and we're regenerated by the Spirit of God and and God gives us faith and repentance, we do it about face. And now we begin facing the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin facing God the Father and our back is to sin and our back is to the world. That is a good indication of those who are truly born again and saved. That's why, if needed, and the church, even the Protestant church, when needed, we sometimes are forced to excommunicate someone from the fellowship. But unlike the church of Rome, unlike the Roman Catholic church, which says a person is no longer a Christian, now the Catholic church, when they excommunicate someone, they believe they have the power to know that person's spiritual condition, and they declare them unsaved. But Bible believers, the Protestant church of today, we can only say that we no longer affirm your profession of faith. We cannot see your heart, but every evidence you're giving us right now tells us that you most likely are not a Christian, but we cannot deem anyone saved or lost. Can I get an amen right there? We can see outward evidences of that inward change, but we cannot positively know another person's spiritual state. Now, as I was saying, that being said, that being said, we do have some idea about the salvation of others by the life that they live. God certainly knows them and they give evidence that those who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have departed the life of sin. They have repented and they have turned to The Lord Jesus Christ. We see the fruit of their life. Are they, is the Holy Spirit of God producing good fruit in their life? And can we see that fruit in their life? And are they bearing that fruit or are they bearing satanic worldly fruit? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, the very words of Christ himself, he said, you will recognize people by their fruits, by their actions. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I don't think so. I don't think so. An apple tree produces what? Apples. An orange tree produces what? Oranges. And as he's saying here, grapes grow on a grapevine, right? Not on a thorn bush. So Jesus says it's pretty evident. You you can tell who belongs to who nevertheless. Say nevertheless. Nevertheless, we're not God, are we? You know some people who think they are, but they're not God. And we're not the Lord Jesus Christ, are we? We're not. So who are we? We are human beings. We're fallible. On our best day, we're a mess. Would you dare say that with me today? Would you dare say, bro, Steve, I'm a mess. On the count of three, let's just say that and get it out of the way. One, two, three. I'm a mess. But I'm a mess for Jesus. Can I get an amen right there? I'm a mess, but I'm a mess for Jesus, and Jesus loves my mess. We're fallible, therefore, we are incapable of making infallible judgments about the truthfulness of someone's profession of faith. So ultimately, it's God alone who knows who the true believers are with certainty and without error. So in that sense, we can say that the invisible church is the church that only God That's the invisible church. Now, on the other hand, we have the visible church. We have the church that has a visible aspect. Uh, We can say that the visible church is the church that other Christians can see, and not only other Christians, but the world itself. In this sense, the visible church includes all those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior, and they evidence, say evidence, And they evidence their profession of faith by the spiritual fruit in their lives. They are the ones that name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the ones that have turned their back on the world and turned their back on sin and turned their back on iniquities. They've repented. They turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the vine. They are His branches. And the vine is producing much fruit in their lives and by... Watching their life, you see, you see spiritual fruit, and those are visible believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this implication all throughout Scripture, and, and the Apostle Paul addresses many, uh, many of his letters to the various fellowships of the visible church as we have defined it in 1 Corinthians. He opens that letter by saying, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and Uh, Philemon chapter 1, he says to the church that meets in Philemon's home. He's talking about the physical church. Paul also frequently mentions both generally and by name false prophets. He mentions false prophets. False prophets are visible just like true Christians are, or those who appear to be believers, but later down the road they renounce their faith. They, they go out from the church. And in uh, Little John, he says they went out from among us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained. They would have remained. In other words, because of sin and human error, the visible church will always have non-believers as being part of it. I had heard that the entire time I was growing up. God called me to preach. I had been uh, licensed and ordained, was pastoring the first church I ever had the privilege to pastor, um, Friends Chapel, and was part of the Riverside Baptist Association. And at that time, this was back in the mid-90s, the association was building a new uh, associational office down in Livingston, and I had had some time and, and volunteered and went down and and me and the pastor of First Baptist Church Livingston, Brother Don Cobb. Uh, Don Cobb was probably 20, 30 years my senior. Uh, uh, had great respect for that man, and, and he and I had poured a little pad of concrete, just a little uh, area that goes in, in into a doorway there, and we were on our hands and knees, and we was finishing that concrete. And we were just talking, getting to know one another. Now, you just have to know Don Cobb. Don Cobb was a a man of stature. He was a big, tall, straight man. I mean, built like Rock Hudson. He was a handsome guy. Every hair in place, I mean, three-piece suit. He was First Baptist all the way. So First Baptist, his wife even played the organ. You can't get much more Baptist than the preacher preaches and the wife plays the organ. I mean, they were straight-up Southern Baptist royalty. I love Don Cobb. He's in glory today. I'm not saying a word bad about him. I'm just trying to paint this picture of him. For him to have on Bib overalls and be on his knees finishing concrete was like, wow, you are a human being, aren't you? You know? So we're just talking and I'm getting to know him and he said, he began to share his testimony with me. And during his time of sharing his heart with me, He said, Steve, did I ever tell you about the time that God saved me? And I said, no, brother, you haven't. And he said, well, I was pastoring my first church. Graduated seminary. Was pastoring my first church. And we were in the middle of revival services. The evangelist was up preaching. He said, I fell under conviction and God showed me that I was lost, that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And I got saved during that revival while pastoring my first church. And he said, once that process had, had happened, and I knew I had to go before the church and let them know that their pastor that they hired was a lost man. Didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Had made a profession of faith many years before in his life, had gone to seminary, had graduated, and was pastoring his first church, and realized that he was dead in his trespasses and sins. And he just knew, he just knew that the church would abandon him and ask him to leave. But when he came before them and shared it with them, their hearts were broken and melted in joy. In joy that he was such an honest man that he would bring that before them, and he rejoiced, and they rejoiced, and God continued to bless his ministry for years and years and years to come. Now that's an example of someone who truly was not pretending, but thought they were safe, thought they were all right, even to the point of pastoring a church before they realized they were lost without Jesus Christ. So yes, the church on planet Earth is forever going to be a mixture of saved people and unsaved people. And that's why we must preach every single message, the message of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to preach Jesus and Him crucified and resurrected from the dead because the visible church will always include some non-believers. But... Here's some good news. Sovereign God is sovereign over the integrity of His true church and He forever has and forever will recognize true believers when the time comes. Aren't you looking forward to that day? One of the things we strive for as a church here at Hope in Christ Fellowship is to have a membership made up of born-again, baptized believers. Believers. We cover this thoroughly. We cover this thoroughly. On the inside of your bulletin there uh, is, is what we call our hope process. Hope one hundred, our, our membership class. We we cover this thoroughly and we cover it thoroughly on purpose and, and we do this, we do this because we want our fellowship to consist of a regenerate membership. We want every member of this church to look us dead in the eye and with all of their heart, with, with every ounce of knowing that they can possibly know, I am saved. I am born again. I have either been baptized or I'm willing to be baptized before we allow anyone to become a member of our fellowship. And we do this because we want our fellowship to be truly saved and born again, don't we? Come on now. Y'all want a lost church? Would y'all need to talk, speak up and let me hear you then? Otherwise, otherwise, what happens to our witness in the community? What happens to our witness in the world when our fellowship primarily is not saved, born-again, Bible-believing believers? Many churches are dying today, and I have my suspicions why many churches are dying. See, where God is, there's life. Can I get an amen? Where God is, there's spiritual life, and where there's spiritual life, the Spirit of God is working, and where the Spirit of God is working, saved people go share the good news with lost people, and lost people come to faith, and the church grows, and the church prospers. That's why when someone wants to become a member of Hope in Christ Fellowship, there's a process that must be completed. They must profess the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They must make that profession publicly by water baptism. They must have their knowledge of the gospel examined, and they must covenant with us submitting to the disciplines and doctrines of Hope in Christ Fellowship. Again, we cover this thoroughly in our membership class, Hope 100. Now, we did a Hope... uh, one and two uh, a few weeks ago, and then we had Mother's Day, and today we have a wedding. So, Lord willing, we'll jump back in and finish up membership class next Sunday. The Lord willing, something special going on next Sunday. I'm just speaking from the hill here. We'll tentatively schedule uh, Hope uh, 100, the third and fourth class, for next Sunday. If something changes, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. So, brother, see, why are you so strict? Why are you so strict on church? membership so that hope in Christ's fellowship displays the gospel to those in our community in the best way possible. Can I get an amen? Now let me say this. If you don't leave with anything else that I say today, I want you to leave today knowing this. The church is the Lord's body. The church is the Lord's church. It's His body. It's a display of God's glory. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ made visible. We are the representation of the body of Christ on planet earth today. So number one, the church is both invisible and visible. And number two, the church is local and universal. The church is both local and universal. Universal this is another distinction that Christians have made uh, the local church and the universal church Now in the New Testament in the New Testament the Greek word for church describes a group of covenanting believers at many different levels ranging from a few people who meet in a home to the group of all true believers known as the universal church uh, for example in 1 Corinthians, Uh, Chapter 16, verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, uh, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the name of the Lord. So here is a small group of people meeting in a home. Likewise, the book of Revelation is addressed to seven specific churches throughout the continent of Asia. In Acts chapter 9, we see the church mentioned in a universal way. 931 says, So the church throughout all Judea and all of Galilee and all of Samaria, they had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, the term apostle is used in the New Testament of someone not given to specific fellowship of believers, such as an elder and a teacher would be, but rather a member of the universal church. So as far as membership is concerned, if you are saved and born again, you are automatically a member of the universal church of all born again believers for all time. But that doesn't automatically make you a member of a local fellowship. Here at Hope in Christ, we're a local fellowship. But we're also part of the universal church. Some might ask, well, why is this distinction between a local and a universal church important? Because I believe with all my heart the New Testament teaches and the New Testament expects all Christians to join as members and be an active part of a local fellowship of believers. Here at Hope in Christ, here's what we teach. We teach that the local church membership is essential. It's not an option for Christians. You need to be a member of a local fellowship. If you're not part of, if you're not a member of a local fellowship, then who do we know that we're responsible to care for? As a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, who am I responsible for? If we don't have local fellowships and local membership, am I responsible for every believer on planet earth? No, I can't even keep up with you all, let alone millions and millions of people. But local church membership means we have come together in a covenant. We've come together in a covenant and, and you've got my back and I got your back and we're going to work at this together and we're going to, we're going to join in the yoke with the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to pull together and we're going to cheer each other on and we're going to be responsible for one another and we're going to hold one another accountable and we're going to hold one another responsible. The universal church reminds us that we're not alone. We're not alone. Good grief. I hear I hear people say all the time. Just recently, in visiting one of the nursing homes that I go into each week and serve as chaplain, there was a little lady that I went up to and and gave her one of my thoughts of the day and and began to to talk to her and and we have been recently been assigned the task of making sure we know what domination or what faith practice every single person is in those nursing homes so we don't offend them and so that we can better serve them and encourage them. And she just happened to tell me the denomination that she was a part of. And I said, that's wonderful. She said, yes, it's wonderful because we are the only church there is. I said, well, God bless you. You have a good day. And some folks believe that. Some folks believe that. Some denominations will tell you we are the church and we are the only church, and the rest of you folks are counterfeit. And to some degree, that's the truth. But there again, who truly knows, who's truly born again and saved and gonna make forever, make heaven their forever home? Only God Himself. Only the Lord Jesus Christ and only the Holy Spirit. That's not for me to judge, that's for God to judge. Others may ask, well, why can't I just be a part of the universal church and not the local church? And my answer would be this, well, why would a professional baseball player need to join a team instead of just being a solo fella? How many games is he going to win if he's 18? Huh? Need to be a part of a team so you can be successful. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number three. We got to get done. We got a wedding to perform. Number three. Number three. Some of you men are going to get real excited right here, but let me finish up before you draw arms, okay? The church is both militant and triumphant. The church is both militant and triumphant. Now what does it mean? What does it mean when people say that the church is militant and it's triumphant? The church is militant in the sense that it's it's comprised of those who are alive and who are engaged in constant spiritual warfare. Say spiritual. So we're militant because we are alive and breathing. And if you're alive and breathing and you're born again and saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are engaged in spiritual warfare on a day-to-day basis. Anybody know what I'm talking about? As believers, we are called into holy warfare. This does not. This does not. And I will say it again, this does not mean that the church uses weapons of this world. We have no business drawing weapons of this world to fight spiritual battles. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse four says, "For the weapons of our warfare, say my warfare, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh." are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Divine power. Do you know why many Christians walk around defeated every single day that they live? Because they're alive. And because they've been called into holy warfare, because they've been called into spiritual warfare, and they're using carnal weapons. They're using physical weapons. They're using worldly weapons to fight their spiritual battles and it just absolutely cannot and will not work that way. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to do what? Destroy strongholds. Now here's the sad part. Every born again believer, hear me, Every born again believer is fully equipped as part of God's military to be fully triumphant over every battle that we face in the spiritual realm. So, why are we not walking in victory? Because we choose to fight spiritual battles with carnal weapons. Primarily this one. Now then, if, 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 if that's prayer to Almighty God, that's great. But, but if that's gossip to everybody that will give you an ear, that's terrible. the weapons of our warfare. Now the church is militant and the church is triumphant, but the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. has nothing to do with the flesh. But they have divine power through the Holy Spirit of God in our participation with Him in His plan for our life. We have divine power that will destroy strongholds. The best example I have of a stronghold would be a straitjacket. You say, yeah, but Houdini got through that, but that was rigged. Okay? Boy, I'd give $100 for a straitjacket right now. I'd pick a volunteer, and we would put you in that thing and watch you wiggle and see if you could get out. Talking about a fundraiser, we could take... We can sell chances on that, right? But the ridiculousness of thinking that a normal everyday human being could be put in a legitimate straitjacket and get out has the same opportunity as a Christian who uses carnal weapons to destroy strongholds. Not going to happen. But when you know the truth and you believe the truth, and as you use the truth to fight your battles, then the strongholds in your life are destroyed and you walk in victory. Now, we are already victorious in the Lord Jesus Christ in the end, but in between, oh, why downcast, oh, my soul? You know, why? 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 The Bible clearly teaches that the Spirit of God gives Christian, gives all Christians a new heart. And he gives them the Holy Spirit Himself to live a life of faith and repentance and a spiritual armor to that end. And folks, we have to practice this verse. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against one another. Our struggle is not against humanity. Our struggle is not against Republicans. Our our weapons and and our our battles are not against Republicans. And our our war is not against uh, political parties or systems of this world. Those are not our enemies. Our enemy is Satan himself. And it's the spiritual war that's going on in the heavenly places that we have total and complete power over because we have divine weapons and these divine weapons will destroy strongholds in your life. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What's a good example of flesh and blood? Human beings. Human beings. If we went after our true enemies like we do the ones we think are our enemies, if we spent the same amount of time and resources and money on the real enemy, where would we be? I don't know who said it, but it's one of the wisest saying I've heard in a long time. You can't fix stupid. Preacher said, stupid. I'll say it again, stupid, stupid, stupid. You can't fix it. So quit trying to war against it. Huh? Set your sights on the real enemy. This is spiritual warfare we're in. This world is lost. You hear me? This world is lost. This world is dead in its trespasses and sins. It has been since the Garden of Eden. It will be until God strikes it and melts it down and makes a new one. You're not going to change this world. You're not going to change the world's systems. We're not of this world. We've been saved and set apart from this world. We are now the church triumphant. We are the visible, invisible church. We're the spirit-empowered church. And we're not at war with this world. We're at war with the enemy, Satan himself. And the divine power that we already possess is able to destroy and pull down strongholds in our day-to-day life. And we're to walk around this world with a smile on our face saying, hey, I've read the back of the book, we win. You start living in victory. You don't walk around with a victim mentality. You don't walk around as a defeated mentality. You walk around knowing who you are, not only who you are, but whose you are. Whoever gets the upper hand on the Father. Nobody. The church is militant. The church is triumphant. The church is triumphant. This means that it includes those that are already in heaven, and us that are still on earth. And the church is shown in Scripture to be 100% victorious. Look at Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, you either believe Christ or you call Christ a liar. That's up to you. I believe Christ. Don't you believe Christ? And Jesus said, I am going to establish my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you're part of that church, you are a victor already said and done, nothing else to do. Walk in victory. Walk in victory. We're not fighting a losing battle. And a lot of us as humans, we go about our day-to-day lives fighting as though we have to win and we already won. Let's finish up today by looking at the attributes of the church. We're just going to look at about four. We're going to look at about four. The first one I want to show you is this. The church is one. Say one. The church is one. The Lord's church is one church. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. says there is. One body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The church is one. Can I get an amen? The church is one. The oneness of the church signifies its unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17 in verse 23 says this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus says we're one. And if we're in Christ, we're one with the Father and we're one with the Son. The unity is built up upon Christ, and it glorifies Christ as we become stronger and stronger and stronger in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, Eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You say, well, Brother Steve, why why are churches split into denominations? Can I tell you why? Because God gave His perfect Word to imperfect people. You want to harp on denominations and you can't even get along with your wife or your wife can't even get along with your husband. You can't even agree in your house. How do you expect a hundred million people to get along? That's just the truth, isn't it? God gave His perfect Word to imperfect people. Christians are fallible. Christians are fallible, and so we differ on doctrinal matters, especially of secondary importance. We talk about this in the classes that we teach you in the whole process. There are essential beliefs that we must agree on, and there are non-essential beliefs that we can differ on and still operate together in the unity of the peace of one. And these differences in no way reflect poorly on the clarity or the truthfulness of Scripture. Christian unity is spiritual and not necessarily organizational. We're never going to always agree on everything, are we? But in a positive way, how can we show some positive light toward denominations? Well, denominations help make organizational unity possible by removing barriers that cause disagreements in the church. Have you ever, have you ever thought this thought? Maybe the Lord left us with differences to work out to teach us how to actually love one another. Hmm. It creates conversation, doesn't it? And if we both come to the table with a heart of love, striving for unity and striving for peace, we might actually find that we agree more than we disagree. Secondly, Secondly, not only is the church one, but the church is holy. The church is holy. Phil Rockin, Does that ring a bell? Phil Rockin. He says, with the exception of the prison system, the church is the only institution for bad people. Huh? You're bad. you need Jesus. Come on in. The church is holy. It's not our righteousness that makes us holy, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ that He gives us when we become His. The church is purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ through the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. We are holy as Christ is holy. The bride is made holy by the holiness of her bridegroom. Ryan, sit tight. Here we go, brother. I warned you Wednesday. Everybody, before I show you this next slide, I don't want you to panic. I want you to hear me out. The church is Catholic. Church is Catholic. Wait a minute, preacher. I ain't no Catholic. I'm Baptist. Hear me out. What do you mean our church is Catholic? What does the word Catholic mean? It simply means universal. The word Catholic, the original word Catholic, before it was hijacked, before it was stolen by the Church of Rome, the English word Catholic, that base word, simply means universal. We talked about this for just a moment ago, didn't we? We talked about the visible and the invisible. We talked about the local and we talked about the universal church. The Lord's church is universal. Can you agree with that? Well, then it wouldn't be wrong to say the Lord's church is Catholic. That is, it is universal. It's universal. The Lord's church is made up of all Christians from all times, which is something we praise God for. Something we praise God for. And fourthly, the church is apostolic. The church is apostolic. Now, the Roman Catholics would say that being an apostolic church means an apostolic succession of bishops who have inherited the the actual original apostles' authority to exercise rule over the church. We don't believe that, do we? We believe in the priesthood of every believer. Can I get an amen? Every believer... Every believer, the priesthood of every believer. You stand before God as an individual. You have gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you to to go as a priest of the Lord Jesus Christ and share the good news with others and lead them to The Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, you've got the Roman Catholic Church, and then on the other hand, you have Charismatics, and they say that being apostolic means that the church can do today what the apostles did in the early church with their miraculous signs and wonders. And if that's so, then I just would need to see some of those. Brother Steve, are you saying miracles don't occur? I'm not saying that. I believe miracles occur every day but I believe it's God performing the miracles. Brother Steve, are you saying that there are no signs and wonders? I believe there's many signs and wonders, but I believe it's God performing the signs and wonders, and it's not a human being. God gets the glory for every bit of that. So that's what the Roman Catholics say, and that's what the Charismatic say. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Himself is the cornerstone. Christ Himself is the cornerstone. And this is the foundation that we must build upon, that Jesus Christ is the. The cornerstone, the apostles were commissioned by Jesus to represent Him to the world in order to spread the gospel. Now if you'll notice, as we read through the book of Acts, and that's what the men are doing on Wednesday nights, and men, if you can be here on Wednesday night, I invite you to please come be a part. We tore down walls, we made more space, we got room for you. We're just going verse by verse by verse through the book of Acts. Brother Joe's doing a, uh, an excellent job leading us through that Bible study. We have a great time of fellowship and we're learning God's Word as we go. And as we're seeing in the book of Acts, so initially the church hits the ground running and there's still signs and wonders and miracles taking place. But as you continue to go through the Bible, those signs and wonders, they, they begin fading away. And the primary focus of the church focuses upon tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit grip their heart and convict them and draw them to Jesus for salvation. Those early signs and wonders were miraculous signs and wonders to grab people's attention to confirm that this is God at work through His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He truly did come from heaven. He truly was born of the Virgin Mary. He truly did live a sinless life. He truly did go to the cross of Calvary. He truly was resurrected on the third day, and He truly did step on a cloud and go back to heaven. And now our role is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected from the dead. And so the miracles and the signs and the wonders were there to launch the church. And then as the church grows, there's less need for that. But from time to time, God says, I'm going to throw one in there just to let them know it's still me. And hallelujah for it. Amen? Hallelujah for it. Jesus is the cornerstone. The apostles laid the foundation. The Holy Spirit gave them the power and authority to speak and act in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's upon this foundation of acts and teaching that the church holds to and is built upon. So the apostles were commissioned. And and we now take that commissioning to the world in the form of a gospel proclamation. So the attributes of the church consist of one holy, catholic, apostolic, church one holy universal apostolic church let me end with this and you have this in your listening guide if the church indeed belongs to Christ and it does can I get an amen Amen. and if it's true that Christ died for his church and he did founded his church built his church and now leads his church shouldn't we consistently look at the church in a very profound way If we would give, as Americans, if we would give the same attention and passion for the church that we do for our nation and our government, we'll let that steam for just a minute. If we were as concerned... For the kingdom of God as we are for our nation, what would that look like? What would that look like? It looked different, wouldn't it? It looked different. What if? This is ridiculous. This is totally ridiculous. But what if the modern day church adopted the principles and the actions of the first generation church? And everybody didn't want big, fine, elaborate home. We just wanted shelter. And what if we didn't have to have and need to have and want to have the, the latest automobile rolling off the assembly line and we just drove something dependable? And what if it didn't matter the name on the tag sewed into the lining of your clothes? What if we just covered up our nakedness? And what if we didn't have to eat the best of the best of the best and we just ate? And What if we spent 40 hours a week laboring for the kingdom instead of for ourselves? Because that's why you're working. You're working because, let me rephrase that, we, we're working because we love stuff. Am I telling you the truth or am I telling you the truth? What if we gave the kingdom the same attention we give ourselves in this world? You think anybody's going to walk into glory with regrets? You know, it would be strange if when we get to heaven, on our first day there, God says, Hey, come here, man. I want to show you something. And he takes us and He seats us in a room. There's nothing but a blank wall. And all of a sudden, the film starts to roll. And God said, on your first day here, I just want to show you what it would have been like If. If you had given yourself to me instead of the world i don't think i'd want to watch that film do you what's to say we can't what's to say we can't go that direction who's standing in the way huh who's standing in the way we are Shouldn't we consistently look at the church in a very profound way? In the way that sees the church as the bride of Christ? Me and Michelle was having this conversation yesterday. I was sharing Wednesday night of my former passions and my former ability to or the inability to constrain my temper in younger years. All the men walked out of the room backwards. See you later, brother Steve. You have a good week, brother. Used to have an explosive temper. Used to grab people. Used to thump people. Used to push them up the wall and beat them against the wall. But as God has grown me and as I've grown to spiritual maturity, I rarely ever lose it anymore. But on occasion, I do. Chelsea was a little bitty girl. We was in a Knoxville hospital because one of the church members was having open-heart surgery at Park West. And this gentleman who was elderly was volunteering in the waiting room, and Chelsea was just being Chelsea. She's just being a little girl. And I had went to the restroom, and while he caught me gone, he showed himself to my wife and daughter. And so I come back from the restroom, and they're all... What's going on? Nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing. Don't tell you. What happened? Well, Chelsea's in the foreplay, and he got on to and da 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 That's it. Hey, dude, come here. Me and you are going to talk right now. And we had a conversation. And it was a polite conversation. But he, he didn't have any words to say in return. I don't know why. He was this big, and I was this big, and I was just tell them the way things were. The only time I really get upset and lose at this day and time is when somebody messes with my wife or my children or my grandchildren. I'm just making a warning. Hey, I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy. But, 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 but if you mess with my family, we're going to have a conversation and it won't sound like this. And it won't look like this. And I'll do my best to keep my hands in my pocket. Brother Steve, why are you being so transparent? Because we should see the church in a very profound way. We should see the church as the bride of Christ. And we should defend the bride of Christ. We should see the church as Christ's glory. We should see the church as Christ's legacy. And we should see the church as Christ's body celebrated in your life and in my life. We should never talk poorly about the church, and I've been guilty of it before, haven't you? We should never talk bad about Jesus. Is it not one in the same? His church, His bride. He, we should never talk poorly of Jesus' church, the Lord's church. We should never neglect the church. I look around the room week after week and right before lake season our attendants just climbed and climbed and climbed and Oh it's pretty let's let's go do this, let's go do that. Why can't you do that on your own time? Why not give God his time? Sunday's the Lord's day. Sunday's the Lord's Day. Why don't we give it to the Lord? Why don't we do our stuff on another day besides the Lord's Day? Why do we want to rob from God to serve ourselves and serve others? Instead, if we're Christ's church, then our lives should be so centered around the very body of the One we claim to follow with wholehearted devotion. Chad was testifying a while ago, even if I'm going with Jesus. Even if it's Jesus. So I asked a question twice last week, and I'll close with this question today. How important is the Lord's church to you? It should be Steve's personal relationship with God, Steve's relationship with his family, and church should be number three. Can I get an amen? It should be your personal relationship with heaven, your relationship with your family, and the church. If it's any less than the pinnacle of life, then we've misunderstood both the purpose of the church and the cross of Christ. He bought us. He bought us. He paid for us. If you haven't already, would you please commit and covenant with hope in Christ fellowship today? To glorify the Lord through our heartfelt participation, our service to, and dedication to the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.